Kafka Streams is a library for building streaming applications that transform input Kafka topics into output Kafka topics. In a time when there are numerous streaming frameworks already out there, why do we need another? To quote today's guest, Jay Kreps, the gap we see Kafka Streams filling is less the analytics-focused domain that these frameworks like Spark and Storm focus on and more building core applications and microservices that process data streams. Jay is the CEO of Confluent, a company that is building Kafka technology. And Jay is one of the original authors of Kafka. We began with a brief history on why Kafka evolved to be the message broker of choice for so many data engineering stacks. And then we got into a discussion of streaming. What is streaming? What does that even mean? What does it mean for a stack to be thinking about streaming as a first-class citizen uh, in the same way that we think about request response or batch processing? And how does Kafka communicate with the streaming frameworks that have been around for a while, like Spark and Storm? Our conversation concluded with a discussion of Kafka streams and the future of the Kafka data platform. This is a great episode for anybody who is interested in data engineering, who is looking to understand where data engineering is going and how to architect for the future. I really enjoyed talking to Jay, so I hope you enjoy this episode as well. And as always, if you like this episode, share it, share any other episode you like, because, uh, the, the show is growing, and it's growing by word of mouth, and I think people that find out about it often are pleased to know about it and wish they would have known about it sooner. So please let your friends know, if they, especially if they listen to podcasts. So thanks again for listening, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Jay Kreps is the CEO of Confluent. Jay, welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Thank you. We have done a bunch of shows about Kafka and a bunch of shows about streaming, and I'm glad to be talking about the intersection of those two topics today. So to set us up for that conversation around Kafka and streaming, it would be great if you could describe the prototypical data engineering problems that companies have today. Yeah, I mean, I guess I'll, I'll start and kind of give the motivation for Kafka, maybe. And, and maybe that'll lead into the motivation for streaming, if that's what you're looking for. So, sure. So kind of, you know, the, the, when we were starting this project uh, at LinkedIn, the, the problem we were facing was we had all these different data systems and we had all these different applications and we had, you know, 115 different ways that data would kind of get around between them. And the only place all that data really came together in one location was kind of our offline platform, which was originally a big Oracle data warehouse, which became a Teradata data warehouse. And then eventually there was a Hadoop cluster, which ended up being even more important in many ways. Um, and it didn't quite make sense uh, for what the business was doing. Like if, if you looked at that business, there was no source of data, which was kind of batch oriented. Everything that happened was happening real time, happening live, generating data continuously. Uh, but all of our mechanisms for you know processing that data, reacting to it, um, were really kind of batch oriented. So what we had was we had you know REST services, which would respond to anybody requests quickly, but we didn't have anything um, which could do you know more more sophisticated analytical processing or anything like that. And 
um, it seemed like a big gap. It just seemed like a big gap between what the technology that was available and, you know, kind of the state of the world. And, and that was the area we were aiming to kind of step into. And so early on, we'd, we'd always had the idea that uh, stream processing would be a big part of it and that the first thing we, we realized we would need to do was build, uh, you know, not the processing, but actually the stream. So, so we started looking at stream processing and we realized, well, before you do that, you have to actually be able to capture this data and uh, make it available in a way that's uh, continually updated in, in real time and do that at a scale you can do it across the company. And so I, you know, I think that that problem actually resonates with a lot of companies. Like um, com companies just inherently, as they get bigger, they get really diverse and they have a bunch of different applications and systems and they're all different in how they you know, manage and model data. Um, but a lot of what people are trying to do with data is put it together across these systems um, for a variety of reasons, right? Analytical systems like services of different types, um, you know, a lot of them actually get their power out of putting together data from different parts of the business. And, um, you know, that's kind of what, what Kafka helps them do. And we will go in depth into Kafka, but let's talk about stream processing a little more in the abstract. I ask many guests this question, but I get variations on the answer because I think it's a, a, a varying definition. How do you define the term stream processing? Yeah, that's a great question. So, so typically, you know, I, I think if you ask that question maybe uh, three years ago, you would you would get an answer that it's kind of like you're, you know, responding to these transient events and you're you're doing something very quickly. Um, but I think as people have thought about it more, they, they've kind of come to a definition which is a little bit broader than that. Um, and in a lot of ways, it subsumes what people were doing with, you know, the kind of periodic once a day batch processing. Um, and, and so the way, the way I often explain this is the following. So, you know, if you build a REST service, it, it responds to requests that come in. And when you build that service, it's really there for requests that are coming in the future. Right, you you start it, and then requests come in, and it answers them. It doesn't answer any requests in the past. Uh, on the flip side, any kind of batch system, any kind of data warehouse, um, Hadoop cluster, you know, it basically has a, a big chunk of data that's all from the past. And when you run processing, you're, it's all about processing the past. There's no concept of processing, you know, future requests or whatever. You just rerun it tomorrow. And this area of stream processing has actually been about fusing those two ideas. So taking you know, the past data and connecting it up to the future data and allowing you to process from the past to the future. And in that respect, it, it actually kind of is a generalization of both of those ideas. And um, you know, that, that's a very abstract definition, but I, you know, I, I think it's also a very general definition. So it makes it really powerful. Um, and it targets this whole area of things that happen quickly. Um, they may be just kind of quickly, like, you know, Every 10 minutes, every five minutes, it needs to be updated, or maybe may very quickly, like sub-second. Um, and it allows you to build applications that process on that time frame. And these applications, they, they react to data as it changes. So, so you can imagine, you know, as data is being generated in different parts of the business, you're able to um, process that and update in real time. So rather than running a once-a-day batch job, you would take little increments of change as they occur. As you've said, the reason that we do not see stream processing in company infrastructure as perhaps as much as we see other well-defined paradigms like there's there's this there's this request response model 
where maybe you have two microservices communicating. Like if we're talking about the different ways that that things communicate within a company, you have this request response model where maybe two microservices are communicating, and then you have this data warehouse or Hadoop type of processing, a large volume of data, and then there's this huge gap between these two types of communication, this these two types of of how data is processed through a system. And because request response is one small atom of data processing, and then at the, the polar opposite end, you have this big batch Hadoop system where you're processing a large volume of data. So when you talk about the gap between these two types of systems, request response versus this big batch system, and you try to define stream processing maybe as the bridge of between the, the gap of the two systems, are you referring to a conceptual gap where... Like the technologies to implement stream processing exist, but people have trouble understanding them, or is there an actual lack of good technical solutions that are between this request response and batch models? Yeah, I, that's a great question. So, and and that's a great uh, framing of the distinction. So, you know, the way I think of it is this: um, you know, as uh, technologists, we've been building uh, solutions to making real-time services like a REST service. We've been doing that for a while, right? And so we've developed a whole stack of technology, HTTP servers and OLTP databases that process quick quick requests. And we've gotten really sophisticated at, you know, maintaining data and building that type of application that, that works in a request response model. So if you were trying to build that type of application in, you know, I, I don't know, the 80s, it was a very new thing. It's like, you know, client server, it's cutting edge, it's hard, you're building a lot of that infrastructure from scratch. Uh, and the same is true in the batch area, right? We, you know, Teradata is an incredibly sophisticated piece of software. Um, you know, the Hadoop ecosystem has had time to develop as well. Um, and so I, I do think that uh, the streaming area, there's there's clearly a need and there's pressure for people to use it, but the, the technology is much, much newer. And the kind of off the shelf support for building applications there is newer and it's just coming into its own right. And, and so I think the pattern you always see in technology is that it has to first get easy um, to do and then it you know can really become a mainstream solution. And you know you can tell how successful you are by, by how complicated the solutions you see people building are. So so if you see people using stream processing uh, but it has like you know four to three moving pieces that's probably too much for it to really be a totally mainstream solution. You'll see people doing that because there's these really important problems that they have to solve. So they're willing to, um, you know, kind of endure the, the pain and difficulty. But but to really become mainstream, it has to become simple. Right. So this is the different flavors of the Lambda architecture that might try to shore up the the problems that uh, the the streaming systems that they have in place cannot fulfill. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Like I think I think people were finding that a lot of the problems that it was their job to solve were in this domain. And they're they're kind of getting the best, you know, agglomeration of different technologies to to make that work. Um, but clearly, you know, the end state for the area is something which is um, you know, solves the problem completely in that domain. And I think it makes sense to have infrastructure support for that domain because it's so broad. Because, you know, because I actually think it covers Maybe you know thirty percent of what companies do is in that kind of asynchronous um, but quick mode. If you think about the problem, not the solution. 
I've done a couple shows recently about Google's data flow stream processing paradigm where they're trying to bridge the gap between batch and streaming. And this is something that they discussed a lot where they were saying there are these negative misconceptions that people have about stream processing that are not necessarily fundamental issues with stream processing as a paradigm. They're probably more to do with the fact that our early stream processing systems had a lot of problems to tackle that we didn't exactly know how to solve, you know, distributed computing, um, distributed computing and stream processing at the same time, just all these challenges. What are the negative misconceptions that people have about stream processing? And are they more rooted in our implementation of stream processing, or are there some fundamental immutable challenges of stream processing that are permanently going to be uh, negative trade-off things, like, I don't know, cap theorem type of trade-offs? Yeah, I, I, I think that that uh, statement by the, the Google folks is exactly correct. So, you know, you see this all the time in technology where people kind of confuse the current state uh, with some kind of fundamental uh, limitation, right? And um, that turns out over time not to be true at all. And right, that's so, what you see with Bitcoin, for example. Like people are like Bitcoin didn't work. Yeah, it's like no, it takes a lot of iteration to get it to work. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. So so yeah, the um, you know the kind of early characterization of, of stream processing was you had these systems which kind of didn't really get you the right answer, <laughs> guaranteed. They're kind of lossy and transient, and so if they ever fell behind, they you know would do something terrible, but, but they had the ability to kind of produce quick results. And so the domain where that works is analytics uh, and specifically analytical applications, which have to be super fast and don't really have to get the right answer. And uh, that's kind of the mindset people have had um, for stream processing is that that's really what it's good for. And, you know, I think that's a niche and I'm sure that there's a niche of, you know, analytical applications that have to be super fast, but it's by no means the bigger important niche for for stream processing and the reason is you know look a, a lot of that definition of analytics is really aimed at you know something like making reports for humans and humans certainly have a, have a need for real-time reporting in in operational domains but the the bigger uh, application is actually software you know processing that is part of your core business logic like you know thinking of stream processing as a platform for building applications that run your business I, I think that's actually a much bigger area but for that to work you have to you know get the right answer you have to have a way that you can update your code and go back and you know update the results that come with it there's there's a whole bunch of deeper problems you have to solve that, that weren't supported by the early um, infrastructure and I think that's um, that left people with this kind of uh, idea that stream processing is this kind of unusual niche and you might do say two percent of your analytical workloads that way but it's ultimately you know kind of a minor thing and, and I think that's exactly wrong right I, I think the right way to think about it is actually I don't believe that there's any you know big gap in stream processing in terms of what you cannot do and you have to do in a batch fashion uh, that we know about right now I think in many ways it's actually a much more natural model for thinking about the world right when you think about data sources in a business it's very unusual to have a data source which is naturally uh, batch there are maybe a few but but generally a business you know it, it does transactions with its customers continuously 
um, you know, things are happening in real time and, and processing in real time is actually a, often a much more natural way to do it. And collapsing these into, you know, artificial windows and trying to merge those windows and work over that windowing is, is actually a really unusual way to think about things. And I, I think it just came about by happenstance and the, you know, the, the technology that we had. So, so yeah, I'm, you know, I'm not aware of a fundamental limitation in the area at all. And a lot of the things that people would list as, as that, um, I think actually, actually aren't at all, uh, fundamental limitations. They're, they're really just artifacts of, you know, an immature technology domain. And the, the project in this area is really to, um, you know, take that vision to completion, make something that, um, kind of has the capabilities of a lot of the batch processing systems is as easy to develop on, uh, but is completely real time. And these problems at a fundamental level are we the, or the, the challenges that have been worked on over the past five years or ten years are, are these things like exactly once processing or ensuring that we've captured all of the all of the data that has occurred in a certain event time window what are these fundamental problems that the streaming community has has started to figure out ways to overcome, has figured out ways where like, oh, this is not a fundamental problem. We can solve this and it's getting implemented now. Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, I think you're asking like, what are the hard parts? Um, and, you know, the, the hard parts I would call out are a couple different things. So, um, you know, the first one and maybe the most obvious is actually how do you express a program that interacts with streams in a way that's actually natural, um, you know, as a, as a developer? And I think, um, you know, a lot of these streaming interfaces have become much more mainstream where you see this, you know, showing up in collection libraries for Java or Scala. And I think Spark did a great job of doing this. Um, and so I think we've gotten much better at, at actually building an interface that's easy and convenient to work with. Um, the, the second, you know, I would call out is what happens if you, you know, fall behind on the data you're processing? What happens if you have to go back and reprocess data? So let's say that I build an application and, and maybe I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm categorizing transactions. If my rules for categorizing change, then I may need to go back and recategorize old data. Uh, how do I do that? And um, you have to have a mechanism that you can kind of go back and reprocess. And doing that's actually a very hard feature to add because it's basically adding all the challenges of a batch processing system when you do that. Um, but it turns out that almost every program has that need, that need to be able to update your code because people do that. And so it turns out you have to take on that, that, that problem. And when you do, you actually get this kind of generalization of, of batch processing and stream processing, which is so important. Um, another area that you know I, I think is um, uh, actually really important is just what is the abstraction that people use to think about streams of data. So in Kafka, we've really centered around this kind of log idea that you have, um, you know, almost like a file, but with a kind of time ordering, and it goes on forever. Um, and that's kind of the fundamental abstraction. I think that that really helps to think about your processing, think about going back and reprocessing old data, think about this combination of storing the past, but also, you know, appending and processing data that arrives in the future. Um, so, you know, I think that's an incredibly important problem. And then um, what you mentioned, this problem of what, what people call exactly once processing, which is probably not really the best name for it. But, you know, really the problem is, hey, if, you know, if my application, you know, dies and needs to fail over, am I still going to get the right answer? 
and this problem is a little harder than uh, a lot of people imagine because of course your application may be interacting with other systems which are um, you know themselves undergoing change and so you know if you go and retry your processing and that calls out to some kind of external service what does it even mean to get the right answer uh, and and so figuring out how to do that well and how to make it something that isn't part of the application domain I think is really important so you know you have to not only make it possible for people to get the right answer in their programs in these failure conditions you also have to make it something they don't have to think about all the time right it's not enough to give people some kind of complicated toolbox that they can you know build a lot of code that will handle this type of error but you have to actually make it something where you just implement the logic as a developer and the right answer comes out I want to begin to shift the conversation towards Kafka streaming mm -hmm. because pe people I, I've done a bunch of shows about Kafka and people at this point probably know it's a distributed commit it's a just kind of a distributed log a distributed data bus pub sub system there are different ways we could define it but uh, listeners can check out other episodes if they want to know more about the fundamentals of Kafka but as we get into the streaming discussion, there are a variety of stream processing systems like Spark and Storm and Samza and Flink. And in many data engineering pipelines, you're going to find people are pulling off data from Kafka and maybe they're processing it with one of these stream processing systems. What is the typical interaction pattern between Kafka and and one of these stream processing systems? Yeah, that's a great question. So, uh, yeah, the stream processing layer and Kafka, they kind of work together. Um, and typically the way they work together, if you're familiar with kind of the big data space, is a little bit like the relationship between HDFS in Hadoop and MapReduce in Hadoop, right? So you, you have HDFS, which is like the file system that is storing the input and output, and then you have MapReduce, which is kind of processing the files and making new files. And um, of course, that generalizes to other frameworks beyond MapReduce in that ecosystem. So in, in kind of the Hadoop ecosystem, there's typically HDFS, and then there's a bunch of different processing layers on top that kind of have different pros and cons. There's ones that do SQL, and there's ones that are programmatic, and there's you know MapReduce and Spark, and there's like a bunch of pros and cons. Um, and so, yeah, that's one way to think about the relationship between Kafka and some of these external layers. Um, but but our m motivation uh, with Kafka Streams is actually a little different. So we you know, we actually came to building Kafka through thinking about how we would do stream processing and what were kind of the fundamental primitives you would need to do that. And so our conception for Kafka was always um, that we would build kind of a streaming platform, something that would allow you to really like handle store process capture streams of data um, and so when we were thinking about how to do that our our original uh work at linkedin was uh this framework called samza which you mentioned and um you know our conception for how that would work was really strongly influenced by that metaphor from uh, mapreduce right that you would have some kind of layer like spark or mapreduce that would um you know run on top of kafka and 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 you would kind of submit a job and it would do processing, but it would do low latency processing. Uh, and, you know, it was, it was an interesting experience because we built that and we operationalized it at LinkedIn. And we it's kind of run as a service uh, even today there. Um, and, you know, the, what we found was a couple of things. So, 
yeah, at a technical level, that that metaphor of you know kind of HDFS and MapReduce is you know reasonable. It's reasonable to think about the problem that way. But the problems people were trying to solve were actually really different than the problems people were using our Hadoop cluster for. So this you know the problems that fall in the stream processing domain were actually you know at least in my mind, much more similar to building a type of microservice. And it was usually doing something like, you know, some kind of core business logic, like something that would happen for the LinkedIn user experience. And um, it was actually a really challenging way to operate um, that stuff. And so so what we, you know, the, the, the conception we decided on eventually with Kafka was to really broaden what we were trying to do and really make it a complete streaming platform. And the, you know, what that meant to us was, adding in the, the two pieces we felt were missing. So one was about how you would capture streams of data and get them kind of in and out of the Kafka cluster. So Kafka, of course, has always had like a read and write API, a producer and consumer. Um, but we added a set of APIs called Connect that allow you to directly connect Kafka to other data systems and either stream data out of databases as it's updated uh, or stream it out of other systems or applications and then stream it into destination systems. And so that was the first thing we felt like you needed. Like you basically can't use streams unless you can capture them. And the second was around processing streams. So we wanted to build something that would be kind of fully integrated with Kafka, would use the uh, features and abstractions that were there, um, kind of the way they had been uh, imagined, and would really support this niche that we felt was underserved around building you know, streaming apps. Um, and so that was that was the origin for... Uh, Kafka streams, and you know it it, it interacts with um, you know the rest of Kafka in a way that's not super different from some of these other frameworks. You know, it's basically taking input topics, it's processing them, right? And in Kafka, a topic is one of these streams of data, right? So it, it takes one or more input topics, and it allows you to build an application that processes those and produces output topics. And you know, what it helps you to do is solve like the hard problems you would have. So joining external data onto these streams, aggregating the streams, doing transformation on them, all that kind of thing. And what kinds of transforms would I be would I be running on a Kafka? So you're you're it sounds like you're basically talking about doing processing in the Kafka cluster. So instead of just Kafka being relegated to this is just like a read-write paradigm. This is also a read-write processing cluster. So you can. So if you're going to throw some data through a Kafka cluster, might as well get your processing done on it, on on the Kafka cluster itself. Um, so what kinds of processing are we going to be doing on the Kafka cluster with Kafka streams? Yeah, that's a great question. So so let me dive a little bit into how Kafka streams works. And I think that will start to answer um, some of those questions. So, you know, what we didn't want to do was to actually put the, you know, application processing code inside the Kafka process, if that makes sense, inside the Kafka cluster, like running in the same process. And the reason for that is one of the things we feel is most important for this kind of streaming platform vision is the ability to run it across teams and across applications and to make sure that, um, you know, one team's code doesn't negatively impact another team's code. And this this is incredibly important. It, it came out of our experience both in operationalizing uh, MapReduce and the rest of the Hadoop ecosystem at LinkedIn and also operationalizing Samba. And, you know, it's incredibly important that you have 
you know, something that many teams can work around uh, totally decoupled so that your stuff can't break my stuff. And so, so it's not the case that if you build a stream processing app using Kafka Streams, that it, it, that code kind of goes and lives inside the Kafka process. And doing so would fundamentally destabilize the Kafka cluster if your code is, you know, unstable and starts using up more resources or whatever. Um, so instead, a, a Kafka Streams application is actually more like a generalization of the producer and consumer APIs in Kafka that read and write data. And the capabilities it gives you are, are the ability to, you know, not just write uh, individual records and not just read individual records, but actually read chunks of records and do transformations, do counts or sums or aggregates or join on additional data. And these are the things that are, you know, a little bit more work to do if you're trying to do it with just the bare bones producer and consumer or uh, read-write APIs. Does that make sense? It does. So... Explain what the difference would be between using one of these streaming processing systems that already exists together with a Kafka connector that you know gives it the API into Kafka or gives it the, gives it the connection point to Kafka and using Kafka streams. What is the 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 advantage of using a Kafka stream? So I, I guess there's a number of. Uh, technical advantages, I think, but I, but I think the first is more of a categorical difference. So, um, you know, at a high level, both of those are ways of doing processing on streams of data in Kafka. And so they're, they're kind of similar, but the, um, you know, the way that Kafka streams works is actually a little different from something like uh, storm or spark or Samza. So, um, unlike those systems, um, the Kafka streams layer is really just a library. So, you know, it's a Java library. It works with Java. We'll do, you know, similar uh, libraries for other languages. And it's actually a relatively thin layer. It's, you know, it's not horribly complicated. And it lives completely um, in your application, right? And when, when I say that, people often think that, therefore, it must be a, you know, a single server thing. But in fact, this is actually a completely distributed layer. So what Kafka Streams doesn't take over is it doesn't take over how you configure your application. It doesn't take over how you start and stop instances of the application. Um, it doesn't take over any of that life cycle thing. All it does is it takes over all the distribution um, of processing amongst the living instances. And in that respect, it's, it's completely different from um, something like Storm or Spark, where you're effectively launching your application into a Storm cluster, right? And you, so you would set up Kafka and you would set up a Storm cluster and you would kind of launch your code and your code would get deployed inside the storm cluster and executed by the storm cluster and storm kind of owns the life cycle of your application and other apps might be put into that same cluster and so kafka streams is totally different so first of all if you have a kafka cluster you basically have kafka streams set up it's it's already there um, all you're doing is you're using this library to get these additional capabilities in your app instead of just using the producer and consumer api and um, that whole uh, that that whole aspect of managing instances of the application, uh, we've basically totally gotten rid of it. And so you can build your application and you can deploy it using any tool you like. So you see people, you know, using kind of old-fashioned ops tools like you know that um, like Puppet or Chef that that deploy instances of their apps. Uh, but you also see people using kind of newer container management frameworks like um, you know Kubernetes or. Uh, elastic container service from Amazon or, or any of those things. And that, um, 
you know, that part of it, you can, you can use whatever you're basically using elsewhere to run applications and the Kafka Streams app isn't different from your other microservices or other stuff you run. Um, what it does give you is it gives you the ability to do this rich stream processing uh, stuff and also to recover from any failure to scale out dynamically. So if you want to add more instances of your app, you can do that and they'll get part of the stream to process, they'll take over the work. Um, so that's that's what that layer is doing, and that's that's very different from um, something like Storm, where you're basically running a cluster, and that cluster would be shared by all the different users, and it's trying to provide that whole um, you know effectively a whole orchestration layer. And so in that in that respect, I think these are very different things. And the reason we did that was, you know, what we realized was what people were trying to do with stream processing. The vision I think we really had for the area was to allow people to build. You know, core applications, microservices, or whatever you want to call it, something that does some chunk of functionality for the business. And um, it's actually a pretty big leap if you're doing that to build like a REST service and you suddenly have to jump into a world where uh, Storm or Spark or something manages the whole life cycle of your application and how it gets onto machines, how it runs, you know, everything, like how it's monitored, all that kind of stuff. So I, th I think this enormously uh, simplifies kind of the life cycle and the set of things you need because now all you need is Kafka and, um, you know, the only other moving piece is your application just as you would have had it uh, any other way. And so I think for that, that niche of kind of streaming apps or fast data apps, I, you know, I think this is a great solution. So that's kind of probably the biggest categorical difference between the systems. And then there's a set of features that I think um, are really important that I could dive into as well, if that's useful. So one, well, I mean, one quick question that comes to mind, um, and I would love to hear any more features about Spark Streaming, but one thing that comes to mind, do you have a vision for how our data engineering systems are going to look in five or ten years? Are most systems still going to have a heterogeneity of different ways that they're processing streams? Because I imagine if you have a big, uh, if you have a big company that's got Kafka as its main data pipeline, even if it has Kafka as its main data pipeline, it might want to use Spark for some things, Storm for some things, Kafka streams for some things. Are there different domain-specific streaming uh, areas that you know, are we going to have a header? You know, it's sort of like the database discussion, right? There's no one-size-fits-all database. Is that going to be the same with streaming systems where we have a variety, or is it more like there will start to be some consolidation and companies will just be using one stream system? Yeah, I, I strongly suspect it will it will re remain pretty heterogeneous. I mean, there's always uh, consolidation when you have lots of things, but in reality, you know, here's here's my view on it. Um, yeah, I think the the space of things that are, you know, kind of fundamentally in this asynchronous domain in a company, meaning the set of problems that are part of your business that you have to solve relatively quickly, um, that could theoretically be done on a stream processing system, are, is actually pretty large. And so, if there was good infrastructure, I think you would see a lot more movement onto that. And that set of problems is pretty diverse. Um, so I think I think it's very likely that you're at least going to see systems that um, you know are aiming for different types of engineer or user, right? So you're going to have systems that that target different languages, different programming languages. You're going to have systems that try and give you higher levels of abstraction, like SQL for transformations, or kind of streaming SQL. I think you're going to have um, systems that that try and combine better with kind of the batch and the analytical world. 
Um, so I, I, I suspect it's unlikely that you'll see a single, um, you know, one one framework to roll them out. Could be wrong, uh, but we'll see. So, so yeah, I, th I think we're definitely planning for kind of a heterogeneous world. Our, our intention um, in, in doing anything in this space at all is not necessarily to replace every system that exists, but really just try and serve this kind of underdeveloped space of like building streaming apps. Um, I think Spark is a phenomenal solution for anything, especially anything that's kind of combining with the um, batch world where you're going to have some development, you know, some parts of your app are kind of running in batch and some are in real time. They've done a really good job of doing that and, you know, playing with the whole Hadoop ecosystem. And so I think being able to combine that and have one API that's both your doing kind of your HDFS processing and your Kafka processing, I think that's, I think that's super advantageous for certain things. I think they've done put a lot of work into kind of machine learning libraries and stuff on top, which I think is really valuable. Um, so I, I don't think any of those things are going to go away. I, I think it's it's actually likely that we'll see a fair amount of diversity in this going forward. And I yeah, I think the advantage of something like Kafka um, is it, it can actually serve as kind of a unifying layer that all of these read from. So, you know, if your team is using one programming language or one one uh, framework, they can still share streams of data with, with my team. Um, and that actually becomes a really important thing in larger companies because it's unlikely that everybody will standardize on a single technology. It just doesn't seem to happen in practice. It's always wonderful when it does. Um, but, but in reality, people often have different needs. And so especially in an emerging area, it's very hard for one thing to solve all those problems simultaneously when it's still very new. Hmm. So one example that I hear you give sometimes around what Kafka is useful for, and I think this ties into Kafka streams, you can tell me if I'm wrong, but the idea of using Kafka as the change log for your databases and you know huge companies with high throughput like linkedin have databases that are going to have tons of reads and writes to them and one way to manage this is using kafka for the distributed commit log so does kafka streams relate to this problem it is would it, would kafka streams be helpful or would it be augmentative maybe you could tell about how kafka streams relates to that domain yeah that's a great question so, um, you know, when people think about uh, streams of events, they mostly think about things like, you know, essentially things that might appear in like an application lock almost, right? Like things that happened once and, and never get updated or changed. And, and so it's important to understand that there's this really close relationship between a database, which is maintaining a bunch of kind of mutable state, you know, state you can update. Um, and a stream of events. And, and the connection is, of course, that um, I could capture each of these updates to my database. I can turn it into an event. And the event is something like, hey, the value of this row is now this. And the value of this row is now this. And internally, of course, databases do exactly this. And that's how they make sure that all the indexes get updated um, or not when you make a change, even though they really need to update multiple different files in multiple places. And in a distributed database or a distributed data system, uh, this becomes an even harder problem because you have to uh, ensure that data is updated across multiple nodes. And so you know, one of the ways to think about something like Kafka is taking on that role now at kind of a company level where you're going to make you know, some, some change and you're going to propagate that throughout the company. So it, it's true that you can use something like Kafka as an ingredient in a distributed database. And a lot of you know, the 
the big distributed database at Yahoo and Twitter um, and LinkedIn all have been built around a type of distributed log. And in fact, you know, I think LinkedIn is even moving to our model where um, Kafka acts as that uh, for their big distributed database. So when you do an update, it's actually published through Kafka, which is uh, pretty cool and actually very useful for getting that data available to stream processing and other things. Um, and so the question is, well, you know, how does that relate to stream processing or Kafka streams, right? There's this interesting uh, connection between databases and streams. Um, how, what does that have to do with stream processing? I think it's actually incredibly core. So um, mostly the stream processing area has focused on um, processing, um, you know, true events that, that never update, right? So this is the like, somebody clicked on this, somebody clicked on that, like click stream data or, you know, that type of log. Um, but there's a different type of event, which is what I just described, which is, you know, this change log, this stream of things that are being updated and processing that's a little different. And let me try and give an example. So let's say I'm, I'm trying to count page views on a website. Um, then as I get events, I can just count, you know, oh, I got a page view. I got another page view. I got a third page view. They all just kind of add up, right? And so another example would be if I'm trying to count the amount of spend on ads, maybe each ad I charge a certain amount. So I say, oh, plus three, plus five, plus seven. The key point is it never goes down. It never gets modified, right? Um, but if you think about now the stream coming out of a database, it's a little bit different. So let's say you have a database table and you have all your uh, customers or users in that database table. And let's say you want to compute um, now a count of how many users are in each geographical region. That computation is actually quite different right now because now you're taking the stream of users, but a user can update their, ge their, their geo setting and say, okay, now I no longer live in New York, I live in San Francisco. And so it's no longer something that just accumulates and goes up. Now you're going to have something that where, when somebody makes that change, New York is going to go down by one and San Francisco is going to go up by one. And so that's a specialized case. But this idea of processing change streams and reacting to that um, is a really core thing. Why is it a core thing? Well, it turns out we have a lot of data in database tables. Uh, we have a lot of state that represents that kind of you know current state of the world. And being able to have other parts of our business react to that is like one of the most core things. And that's exactly the important problem, I think, for stream processing is to take streams of things that happened in the world and combine them with the current state of the world. So you can say like, hey, the current state of my customer is this, and I'm adding that on to actions they took, and then I'm responding to that in some way. Um, and so this is this incredibly core thing that has been mostly uh, ignored by stream processing systems. And Kafka Streams takes that on in a couple ways. So you know, the first thing it does is it actually models tables internally. So not only do you have a concept of streams, you also have a concept of tables. And tables represent the current state of something. And it actually produces a change log or stream for each of these tables. And so you can subscribe to changes happening on a table. You can join a table to a stream. And so that type of processing where you might take something your customer is doing and combine it to attributes about the customer um, is now really, really natural to do. And other things can you know, subscribe to the results. And you can think of something like a, a count or a sum as being that type of mutable table that's getting updated. The current count is this, the current count is that. 
And, you know, so I think that's one of the big kind of conceptual advances we had in the system was really modeling both of these types of streams, making it um, via the Connect APIs in Kafka really easy to capture database changes and then really easy in the streaming API to actually process those changes and combine them with other event streams. And I think it's, you know, really one of the core things that makes this domain open up and be possible to solve, you know, a broad set of problems with. When you say... Kafka models a database table. What does that mean? Does that mean you're cloning the entire database? I know you don't mean that. So what what does that mean that you that you're modeling the the table? Yeah. So you know, I, I'll try and go through this. Yeah, you know, it's a little bit difficult to do it without a picture, but okay. you can think of um, one way to represent a table is you know as a as a rectangular table, like you would print it out in a book, right, where you have a key and a value. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of the natural representation of a table. If you were to draw a relational database table, that's how you would do it. Um, another way to represent that table, though, would be the stream of updates that created it, right? The stream of inserts or updates that created the table. And that's actually the representation that Kafka uses. And the advantage of that, sep- and, and Kafka has this like built in as a concept and has for a while, and it, it has a whole kind of log compaction feature that allows you to kind of go in and prune old updates over time. Um, And uh, the advantage of that second representation, you know, the stream of changes is, first of all, it's pure events. So each of these is something which is totally immutable and happened at a point in time. And so once you learn about an update, it never changes out from under you. The second is it allows you to actually replicate that table elsewhere. So, you know, if I have a database, I can take that stream of changes uh, that are in Kafka, and I could replicate it into Elasticsearch, or I could replicate it into a totally different database, or I could replicate it into something else. And you know that's actually much harder to do with the table representation. Like if I have that rectangular table, um, if I kind of close my eyes and look at it again, some of those rows will have changed. Which ones? Well, I don't really know, right? And so if I want to replicate that table, I have to copy the full thing. Uh, whereas the stream, I'm always just taking the new additions kind of one at a time. And so the advantage of that stream representation is you can replicate to other systems. You can perform transformations uh, on that stream as it occurs. So you can take uh, a table and you could uh, stitch it together with other tables and have kind of a materialized view across. So an example of a use case where you might do something like that is in a lot of companies, you have a little bit of data about your customer uh, split over many different services or databases or business units. But for a lot of like marketing applications or analytics applications, you want to put together kind of the unified profile of your customer, all the information you have from all the different parts of the businesses and all their interactions, be it via customer service or, or some other system or things they bought. Um, and so you can imagine uh, that process of creating this unified profile as basically taking the stream of changes from all these different databases that have a bit of information and kind of normalizing it and joining it all together into one, you know, Uber profile that you, you might then serve up. Um, so that's that's what I mean by this. So the, the support in Kafka um, and Kafka Streams is really twofold. One, this idea of modeling change logs directly in Kafka and having a kind of compaction feature which allows you to maintain that data properly. And second, um, in Kafka Streams, the ability to actually um, represent that tabular data in um, kind of an embedded key value store, which allows you to do the aggregations and joins across records using, you know, off of those change streams or, you you know, using those change streams. So, okay, so, 
So, so tell me, tell me if I have a correct understanding of this. So, in addition to Kafka having the functionality here of a write-ahead log or a change log, or, or you know, basically this log of database changes, instead of having a model where, let's say, you changes to a user's profile are being submitted to the change log. Uh, the database accepts changes to the change log, and then some service that's requesting the user's profile, the user's new profile that has now been updated, has to go through this polling mechanism to understand what kinds of changes have occurred. You could just say within Kafka, okay, publish that there's been a change to the user's profile on an outgoing stream and you don't have to go through the rigmarole of of the service that is requesting user's profile contacting the database. Is that an accurate example? Yeah, that's exactly right. So, so you know, example of that would be you have a database which is kind of the master for the user's profile, and it's going to get updated. And maybe that data needs to go to offline systems like a data warehouse and a Hadoop cluster. Maybe it goes to some kind of, you know, cache that has to be kept up to date. Maybe it goes to Elasticsearch for full text search, you have to keep all of those synchronized. And the mechanism for doing that, you know, is this type of change log or change stream. And Kafka has kind of support for that, um, for that type of stream. And obviously, that's one of the most important types of streams, since so much data is in databases. Hmm. Interesting. So, as I mentioned, I did some shows recently about Google Dataflow, and there's Apache Beam thing they're working on. And one of Dataflow's breakthroughs, as I understand, is how it solves for time, particularly this skew that can result between event time and processing time. Is there have have you worked on this area at all within Kafka, within Kafka Streams? Does that does that is there any analogies to the Google Dataflow work? Yeah, I, I, there, I, I think that's you know really the best idea that they had, um, and it showed up in their early infrastructure systems and is now baked into this Beam uh, API. And I think most people working on stream processing have have adopted this idea that um, the time that you care about is actually not the time the data happens to arrive at your code, but rather the time that the the event occurred in the world. And so you know in that respect, it's completely obvious. But handling that correctly is really important, and it's something a lot of the early systems got wrong. And um, so they they introduced a model which they called event time, which had to do with um, processing based on when the event occurred. And an example of when this might come up would be, you know, maybe you have a kind of IoT application where you're collecting data um, from a bunch of um, uh, machines that are distributed um, around the world, and that connection that you have to your data center might be kind of intermittent. And so data would transmit back to where you're doing your processing, uh, but it might be a bit delayed. And it's very important that if you're counting, you know, how many events occurred, that that count be associated not with the time that it happened to show up at your data center, which could be all over the place based on connectivity, but rather have to do with when the data was captured kind of out in the field. That's what you actually care about. That's the state of the world. And, and so, in a sense, it's a kind of very obvious um, observation, but it's not obvious because it wasn't the way everybody was doing it. And so Kafka Streams takes that on. And in fact, we even added a timestamp into the kind of core Kafka data model to make that something that's really natural and fully integrated with any you know piece of data that goes through Kafka. And that becomes the kind of event timestamp that's used by Kafka Streams. 
and I think the cable concept um, I described is actually a related idea. Um, it's a little bit hard to understand, but if you think about it, when you're, um, you know, the advantage, uh, the reason these systems kind of ignored event time was because it meant you didn't have to go back and update the past. And that was hard for the systems to do. You could just process it as it, as it came in. And once you kind of go back and update the past, you basically have a kind of mutable piece of data. And so the, the stream processing systems were trying to avoid that, and that was why they weren't, they weren't using event time. And once you have that concept of um, you know, being able to go back and update the past, you really have uh, a table, which is the kind of core thing you're trying to combine with stream. So you can think about that you know, account as being really the count so far, and you can think of that as being a table that you're maintaining where you have maybe the number of actions that you've counted for a given user, and you're updating that as new events come in. And if an event comes in from a few minutes ago, but it just happened to get to you now, you go back and you update that uh, count from a few minutes ago. And, and so in Kafka Streams, I think we've actually taken that even a step further um, than just the um, simple data flow stuff. And we've really kind of fully integrated that so that all of these things which where you can kind of go back and revise the past are treated like just any other table which is subject to revisions, just as if the customer went back and updated their customer profile or any other mutable piece of data. Hmm. So what remains to be built for the Kafka Stream data I'm sorry, the Kafka streams to get to, you know, you talk, you talk about this stream data platform that you would like to see as the bright future of how people are utilizing Kafka, how people are utilizing streaming. What is the diff between what we have today and what you would see as the stream data platform or the ideal stream data platform? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, as with any piece of technology, I guess there's a lot of work to do. So um you know, our vision was really being able to have something that would act uh, to store streams of data and would do that reliably so that you can count on that being there. And I, I think that's an underappreciated part of what Kafka does that makes it possible to actually decouple systems. Uh, it's important to be able to capture streams that come out of other systems, and it's important to be able to build these processing applications that do transformations, right? So that that's the idea, and I think there's work at each of those layers. So, you know, the work on the storage side is really making sure um, that it's easy to manage large amounts of data stored for a long period of time in Kafka. And we've, we've always had a really good consistency model, a good replication model. So it is a full storage system, but making it easy to manage as your data grows and shrinks and as your cluster grows and shrinks, um, I think there's still, you know, ongoing work around that. Um, We've been doing work on this Connect framework, which makes it really easy to plug into other systems. And I think that's one of the most important things. So, you know, nobody wants to do a ton of work hand integrating with every other database and application you have. So if you can get some of those connectors off the shelf and just have them plug in, uh, I, I think that really unlocks this whole area um, to be easy and useful. And so in that area, I think most of the work is on just building out this connector ecosystem. I think we've got about 40 connectors for different systems, but there's still lots left to do. It's super easy to build one of these in this connect framework. So if anybody's looking for a fun project and a way to get involved, that's a great way to do it. Um, and then on the stream processing side, uh, you know, there's there's a bunch of different pieces of work. We're do, you know we're we're interested in expanding it to different programming languages, as I described. We're doing work on exactly once processing, which actually um, isn't just about the stream processing. It's also about Kafka itself, the underlying uh, Kafka store, 
um, as well as the connect framework and be able to really do that end to end so that data that comes in um, is you know uh, captured correctly in the Kafka cluster with no duplicates and any kind of transformation that happens, uh, you get the exact answer you would in a non-failure case, even if some parts of your application are failing uh, during that processing. And then finally, whatever the destination for this you know, final stream is, that it gets out correctly. And being able to do that end-to-end -end is something where, you know, I think it's actually um, not quite a solved problem out in the world today. A number of systems kind of claim exactly once processing in their layer, but it doesn't necessarily go end-to-end -end across Kafka and the other systems you would plug in. So really getting that nailed, um, I think, is super important work that we're kind of just kicking off now. All right, Jay. Well, I think that's a great place to conclude. I want to thank you for your time, and I appreciate you coming on Software Engineering Daily. My pleasure. Thanks a ton for having me. Thanks to Symphono for sponsoring Software Engineering Daily. Symphono is a custom engineering shop where senior engineers tackle big tech challenges while learning from each other. Check it out at symphono.com slash sedaily. That's S-Y-M-P-H-O-N-O dot com slash sedaily. Thanks again, Symphono. Wow.